morning. Ah, okay. Can you turn For, your video sideways, your camera? Yes, that's it. I mean, it's any particular Sunday morning. But. Okay, guys. <laughs> well, uh, here it's Christmas. I guess in your place it's Christmas. It's the day that we call Christmas. It's the it's a day, right? <laughs> Actually, Thailand is experiencing more and more Christmassy kind of things, except for one thing, and that is that there's no Christ, there's no nativity, there is no religious services anywhere. That everything that has anything to do with uh, Christmas is actually European traditions, like Christmas trees and Yule logs and feast and giving gifts and all of that kind of stuff that uh, didn't have much of anything to do with Christmas other than the word. So everybody yeah. here kind of knows Christmas without it even having any religious context to it. That in fact it came commercialized, that it was Tesco and Big C and Macro and some of the European companies that do uh, retail business. And they would start wearing the Santa hats, the red with the white trim. And that's what got it started about 30 years ago. And this year, uh, the school actually gave out um, a whole package of uh, toys and uh, school supplies to the kids for Christmas. Kitty brought a big bag full of stuff. And so um, in in that regard, my my answer to that is, is that every day is a holiday. Every day is a holy day. That's why I don't wear shoes much is because of that passage in the Bible of Moses, take off thy shoes for thou upon holy ground. And I'm on the holy ground so much, I just stay barefoot all the time, mostly. <laughs> Except going to the bank, and that's not holy ground, so I wear my shoes. <laughs> uh, I was in Aberdeen in, in Scotland, uh, visiting some old friends, and there the holy ground was filled with ice and snow when it was negative four, so... Uh... <laughs> I figured that some shoes were, were sure. justified. There is an old photo someplace uh, uh, taken in uh, Rhode Island where the snow is still, uh, you know, spotty all over the place. And there's four monks and the Lao monk and myself were in sandals and the other monks from Sri Lanka were all bundled up with socks and stuff. <laughs> so, uh, Drew, you had a question about heartbeat and the visibility of the heartbeat um, and yeah. sometimes the pounding of the heartbeat. Now, uh, it can happen in any place and at any time, but it doesn't happen so much, mostly because we're not paying attention to it. So there's two then kinds of situations. One is, is that when we're really alert and the heart's not so strong anyway, but we can detect it versus this pounding that will happen for everyone in certain, certain circumstances. Now, uh, that pound, I've actually done some experiments with it, like taking blood pressure when I was able to hear that uh, pounding heart and for me, there was no change in the blood pressure, that it was a standard kind of blood pressure, uh, normal kind of. And so uh, that in fact, where I take, if I have the hand up like this with it on the wrist, I'll get a different reading than if I have it down, that it's very sensitive, uh, not the, not the, um, the spagmometer, the machine, but the human body is sensitive. In the sense that if you hold your hand in the air, the blood pressure is low. And when you hold your arm down, the pressure builds. Now, the first question that we can ask with this issue of the heart rate is where do we experience it? Does it happen to put ah, in the chest? Is that true for other people? 
that sometimes it feels like the whole body is just expanding and contracting and expa- everything yes it's pumping sometimes it's yeah but mostly mostly in the chest you can kind of hear it in the head especially if your head's on the pillow but it's mm-hmm. very much felt in the chest um okay in in regular times yeah i'd say okay and then my hands and feet not so much now at one time i was quite curious this was many many years ago about why do we have breath meditations and breathing meditations but i don't know of any heart meditation and that we know how to speed up and slow down the heart but that's basically physiological where we can actually physically control the breathing and guess what the the best the network and the breathing and the eyes and the ears and several other things have a dual wiring that's kind of strange in the sense that we have the heartbeat and the uh the breathing controlled from the back but there's also a neuron system that goes around the side of the head for the breathing so that uh and they've discovered that after they discovered that when they were doing mris with people that the frontal lobe depths would light up for that breathing but that we don't have any control over the uh, uh the breath that's also uh, what happens with the eyes and the ears? The eyes are quite amazing in the sense that there's a huge, big um, optical system in the back, but some of the wiring goes right into the frontal cortex. <clears throat> and um, I don't know what that's about, but I don't think that the physiologists have figured any of this stuff out yet, but it's very curious, especially about the heart rate that it is completely autonomic. Can I add something? Yes, please, go right ahead. If uh, deep divers uh, accidentally uh, get their their goggles uh, from from their head uh, at a certain uh, depth, it can happen that through the pressure to the eyes, the heart rate slows down and slows mm-hmm. down and slows slows down till they die. It's phenomenologically something they probably knew before they took the, the measurements. Well, sometimes, in fact, you were mentioning it, sometimes it's the front part of the face that throbs. Yeah. Okay. And that that throbbing or that heartbeat can have several different factors to it. That in fact, for meditators, when they get up tight and, and, and sitting for a long time or whatever like that, that, um, that in fact, this is what step three of Anapanasati is all about, is to find those tensions in the neck and relax it. Do, do some exercise or whatever like that. And that it's the tension in the neck then that backs up the capillaries here so that the the head uh, becomes extra uh, blood pressure, higher blood pressure than it would normally be because all the blood's coming in, but it can't get out so easily. And so uh, the pressure will build up and this can cause headaches and it can cause pounding that can be experienced, especially on the temporal lobes which is exactly maybe what you're talking about is when you're laying your head down on the pillow, you can actually lay on the pillow to the point that it will help you pick up that that heartbeat and transmit it to the um, uh, to the brain, possibly through the ears or whatever. This is so strange. Um, I tried this and I, I'm, I've, I've been told from uh, people afterwards that it's probably not the best thing to try. But once I was like, once I had a headache and I was like, it was just very pounding. And you know how you can take your pulse here? Mm-hmm. Yes. So I just took my pulse like that and like on both sides and squeezed a little bit. <laughs> and that you have up. more pulse here in those in that jugular area than you do on your hands. 
then in fact, uh, like any of the medical that. people will do it like that is check uh, test to see what that blood pressure or what uh, squeeze a bit. And then uh, just like presumably because something, you know, it was the pressure thing that you know, I just eased it up fantastically. And I was like, oh, mm -hmm. <laughs> but then I was told you shouldn't do that in case you pass out. But, you know, it's, it's useful, if not dangerous. <laughs> Okay. Well, I would say then that uh, when we are in a physiological state, perhaps having done exercise or perhaps being in a spa where the temperature is very high, that that kind of heart rate then has two qualities to it that we've already mentioned. One is that the pounding is a little stronger but it probably doesn't have anything to do with blood pressure. That's the first thing that people think is, oh, no, my, I, I can be, experience my heartbeat. My blood pressure must be through the roof. Yeah. And that's not necessarily the case. But why the pounding happens, I don't know. But in the case of being in a sauna and very relaxed, then, in fact, people should be able to experience their heartbeat uh very easily and then get confused that the heart is pounding hello there good to see you hello good to see you guys yeah we're actually talking about uh the relationship to the heart in the sense of meditation but the the physical beating of the heart because we can't slow it down or speed it up nor can we change the blood pressure with our mind, nor can we um, make it pound or not. But what we can do is to go looking for it and pay close attention to it. That the heartbeat is going on. You don't have to take my word for it. You can just check. And that you, uh, we were just talking about this, uh, checking your own heart rate and heartbeat by putting the hand uh, in this area here where those uh, veins, and I think it's a jugular is a vein, but it still has, uh, it's big and it's functional. And so that's a good place to check the, uh, the blood pressure. Um, but... What I'm asking you to do in your quiet time of meditation is to check to see if you can experience your heartbeat. Because we normally are not paying attention to it, and I bet that you're still pounding away in there. And we don't pay much attention to it. But one of the things that we have to also mention on the other end of that scale is, is that some people get very freaked out and, and uh, uptight and excited when they find their heart pounding. But in fact, people have gone to the hospital because of a pounding heart. They get really freaked out. And, and the thing that we can understand here is, is that, no, it's a normal occurrence. And it has to do with this dual quality. Is the heart actually making more of a function that can be detected? Or is it our detection mechanism is uh, better? Yeah, um, I, I told my um, retreat experience to a friend who does a lot of retreats. And she was like, that's so interesting. We had this happen to a lady over here a while back. Her heart rate spiked. So eventually we had to call um, an ambulance and send her to the hospital. Um, Simply because he was in a meditation hall and he started experiences his heart pounding and he became afraid. I, Is that it? I basically I suspect that was probably exactly what happened. Um, and to be fair, having been in that situation, I totally understand. <laughs> mm -hmm. um. Well, the worst part was that he was freaked out about it and all of the rest was incidental to that and this is the uh, best thing that we can take away from this conversation is is that it's a normal thing that happens just like running up a hill and you start breathing heavy but if you stop and pay attention your heart's pounding also 
but we're not paying so much attention to the heart pounding because at the same time we're out of what we call out of breath and are working really hard to catch our breath. So what that would mean then is that if we started doing step two of Anapanasati in the sense of the heavy, deep, slow, in, out, in, out, in, out, the kind of thing that would be similar to the breathing that we were doing when we were climbing a hill and then stop doing it for a while, then that's a really excellent point in time to check your heart rate, check your, you know, because that, in fact, the second, basically, there's two advantages to the, uh, uh, the second step of Anapanasati, that heavy breathing. And one of them is, is that while you're doing it, you do not have time to think of anything else. That you have to watch the breath in order to keep it going and keep it going. And so we actually really are in here now. And the mind is not going to wander away. And the second part of that is, is that that also really energizes the body. Makes it vibrantly alive. Cleans it out. And so even though I don't talk to the students much about it, uh, doing that... Uh, Deep breathing, that's step two of Anapanasati, what is we call the, the short breath. It's not a shallow breath. It's a short breath in duration of time, but it is a heave, just like running up a hill kind of uh, experience. Uh, so this kind of breathing does have that quality of changing the condition of the heart. But the heart's got to respond to the fact that now we've got all of this oxygen coming in and all of this cleaning out. There's also an interesting point about that. And that is, is that we have a natural association with acid being a fire. That when things are acidic, they bubble, they churn, they eat, they, they do all kinds of stuff. And that in fact, when we are taking an antacid in uh, for our digestive system, it also has the quality of heat and hot. The reason I'm uh, pointing this out is because when there is a lot of carbon dioxide in the system, like when we're not breathing well, carbon dioxide in the bloodstream is acidic. And it agitates us. We become agitated because there's too much carbon dioxide in the system. So doing any kind of breathing that gets all that carbon dioxide out of the system is going to then give us a different kind of um, energy. It's not going to give us an agitation energy, it's much more of a vibrantly alive kind of energy to get all of that acid out of the, out of the body. So, in the doing of that, now the, the pumping of the heart has to respond to the fact that the lungs are doing something new. And so uh, the, the heart will start to change. And so that's a good thing for us to start paying attention to. I mean, you can imagine 2,500 years ago, the yogis were sitting around in the woods or in a cave or something with nothing better to do. And here you guys have got cell phones and jobs and all kinds of stuff to, to, to occupy our time. Uh, and so spending more time with the body like this would be a very, very good thing to do. Now, not all the time, but you know, at least five minutes a day to start looking at this, the breathing, the heart rates, the um, uh, what effect that it has on us. Uh, and so that's about all that I have to say, does anybody have any more comments about heart rate? If this is a, if this becomes a, a, let's say, a toy, as you put it, that's a very, it's a very helpful toy, it's a very helpful tool. Oh, you're just making the comment that what I just said is very helpful. Is that what it's, he said? I, I'm, I'm having trouble understanding you breaking up a little. This, this definitely too. And also, uh, it becomes a, 
this this um, quality of seeing that and being able to control it more and more becomes a very a shiny toy, as you put it, or a, a good tool. Well, when you get into the rhythm of just watching your breath and paying attention to it, time kind of flies. Uh, you know things like that. You get into a video game that, in fact, when you're sitting waiting in a bank or uh, in wherever, that that Close cell thing. phone will help you pass your time away. And we enjoy doing that. But watching the breath and just in and out and how cool and comfortable it feels over and over again and the time will just race by perception feels really good to do nothing except just watching the breath and so if this um you were saying like see if you can tune into it what if it's like um it's so in your face that it's kind of getting in the way of relaxing and it's kind of getting in the way of feeling your body is cool and calm and just all that nice um, loosey goosey kind of feel. Mm -hmm. And here you are, you have a big bass drum, like essentially in the middle of your body. And it's not exactly the most calming thing. Oh, but that's not the point. The point here is, is that it's not that such a calming thing means is that you don't like it yeah that's the whole quantity it doesn't matter how loud that drum beats if you don't care but when it beats and beats and you don't like it then that's what we need to look at and to recognize if that's what the heart is doing then let it do that now one of the things that you might try is get up and walk around Continuing to breathe to see does the heart change? It could be that the way that you're sitting and the posture is pinching something. And so getting up and walking around might might help. I think uh, it's more of an, uh, uh, an attention thing. For some reason, part of my attention has landed on my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So here's one of the things that you can do with it to play with it is make it that drum beat yeah and i bet there's a whole lot of music whatever strict frequency it is there's some music that will fit into that that if it's running at uh let us say 110 beats a minute which is pretty fast then you could say you could sing something like staying alive staying alive because that was running at 110 um that's when you when you have cpr training uh they want you to hit the purple with that cpr at 110 to get the heart really moving if they're uh, uh and so uh that's why i know about that one but whatever song that you could find you can just hear that beat then you can mm -hmm. hear that the fact that it's not just one that it's got an echo that it's got a ta-dum 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 and so what you can do with that is like bolero. Okay, listen, you know that frequency of bolero. It's got dump, then a triplet, da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. And then the one note is two is uh, an extra triplet. So it goes dump, da-da-da-dump, da-da-da-dump, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-dump, da-da-da-dump, da-da-da-dump, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-dump. Okay, so you can do that with your heartbeat. And you can start to make a toy out of it and play with it. To see Got that as a, as, a, as a friend who doesn't show up often. Mm. And that's an important point also about this, is that when that heartbeat is getting really strong like that, you don't like it. And that people cannot like it so much and be so afraid of it, and they don't know what it is and full of doubt, that they actually freak themselves out for no absolute reasons at all. When in fact, you could just make a toy out of it. And if it's really slow, then you could do something like Beethoven's fifth. Da -da 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 -da.
da 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 dum, you know, dum, 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 dum. Generally, the heartbeat's not that slow. But uh, uh, whatever the heartbeat is, you can find something that you can make music with. Right. Also, when the heart shows up like that, be grateful that it's working. I mean, what would you do if it stopped beating like that? <laughs> or stopped beating at all? Yeah, so we want to take care of it and make it a friend rather than, uh, uh, I mean, if, if you don't, it might attack you. They call it a heart attack. <laughs> and I'm not sure why they call it that, but the psychologist really jumped on that one. If you keep attacking your heart, it'll attack you back. And so make good friends with it. Whatever, whatever's happening. And sometimes, like I said, it's actually good to go looking for it. Let's see if we can bring it up. Let's go make it, uh, put it into our, our consciousness, into our awareness. So does anybody else have any comments? Or Drew, do you have questions? Yada, go ahead. Nita? Okay, never mind. Sorry, you're breaking up all the time. Yes, your microphone has some noise in it. Yeah, it's probably. There you go, now it's okay. Probably just my signal. Just one comment, like you said, not liking it makes it worse. Um, I noticed that a lot with, I think we talked about it already. Um, like I have some really tight cramps in my face when I start to meditate. And they just get worse and worse, the more I worry about it, the more I, I'm angry about it. Or like, I can't meditate right now because my whole face is itching and twitching and kind of hurting. and taking these breaths like taking deep breaths makes it even worse and kind of starts well, it actually i can expect that because by taking the breaths whatever's going on taking deeper breaths is going to keep the body of uh, the, the the heartbeat going and whatever you're feeling in your face really does have something to do with the heart because it's uh, delivering all of those juices that make everything flow so uh several things then the first thing is, is to check it out physically give yourself a facial massage give your neck a massage get it relaxed find out where these tensions are but let's do something about this that that's something that's very interesting people think oh meditation means i'm supposed to be sitting really still yeah, but if you sit really still, tensions will come up. And now what are we going to do about them? Are we just going to set them with the, with the tensions all built up and everything and start to hate it? That sounds very much like the Mahasi method. If, you can, if you've got yourself still and uh, tensions of the neck and the face and, and they present themselves like this, then do something about it. Just like pounding the heart, you can get up and take a walk. Well, in the case of the face, get a, um, a washcloth, soap it up, give yourself a really long, slow facial face wash. Wash all around the neck and back and just relax. Keep putting it back into the hot, soapy water and just let everything go like that. Make that your meditation. Pay close attention to what you're doing. And so as you're washing your face and getting it all relaxed and everything, you can compliment yourself. Yeah, this works. I could get it relaxed like this. And then I can go back and sit down for a little while 
and see if I'm going to bring that tension back again or whether I can, after I uh, massage and wash and all, that I can keep it at bay, get it, get, get it out, and then keep it out. Or does it come back? And if it comes back, go and wash your face again. This is a very easy pra practice that we have here with Anapanasati, but most people wind up finding somewhere or another to feel bad about what they're doing. Rather than nurturing yourself, you're critical. Oh, this face should not be like this, or oh, the heart should not pound like this. And so we're critical of it. And the better thing to do is to be really nourishing. You'll find out a whole lot more about yourself by investigating it with the idea that there's nothing wrong here. We're just checking things out as opposed to, ah, I'm going to find out what that problem is. We've been doing that our whole lives. We were taught to do that as kids, just to be critical with ourselves. So when anything like this in meditation comes up, uh, an example would be sitting a long time, the knees hurt. That especially for Westerners. Um, I'll give you an example. This was in a TikTok, uh, uh, Tic Tac commercial, the little sweet things that people put in their mouth to freshen their breath. But in this particular commercial, they had an actress sitting in some sort of meditation posture, enjoying her Tic Tac, except that her knees were about four inches off the floor. It was obviously just a stage actress that they had brought in there just to make the shot because she was beautiful enough, and they didn't bother to get a meditator at all. Meanwhile, I could see that this had gone on a while to make the shoot because her legs were actually bouncing just a bit, which meant that she was kind of in, in pain, struggling. And that um, a lot of what we can learn, it took a while. I experimented with various postures and whatnot and got it to the point that I could sit flat on the floor with my knees down, just like everybody in Thailand. Because they've been sitting on the floor their whole lives. So, uh, it's Westerners that get that tension. And then it's hard to move out of it. And so it's painful when we're sitting long periods of time. And I've also had experiments that I've taken my hands and put it on students' knees to get them to relax. And I've done that two or three times and I never saw the student ever again. So that's not a good <laughs> idea to push on it. But rather, just uh, let it let it bounce and don't make it a rule that you've got to get your knees on the ground. Make yourself comfortable, not too comfortable, but comfortable enough so that uh, you can you can practice. And that's an important point, because if the body is not comfortable, then it's really hard to practice because it brings up ill will for one thing. And so we do need to get the body comfortable and within the Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa style that when we're sitting after a while, the body gets uncomfortable, adjust it, do what's necessary to get the body comfortable again. Just like if the face has got tension on it, go wash the face, spend three, four, five minutes getting it all cleaned up and uh, massaged and uh, relaxed and everything, and then come back and sit down. If the knees are hurting, do what you need to do to get the tension away from the knees. Don't inspect it. But with the heartbeat, other than getting up and walking around, there's not a whole lot you could do it other than enjoy the music. Enjoy the beat. Whatever bodily sensations come up, we have two, two ways of dealing with it. One is the physical to relax it. And the other one is, is to deal with it correctly mentally and one or the other will take care of every situation that i know of it really is hard to breathe and do deep breathing meditation when you're nailed to a cross so i would recommend don't get yourself nailed up to a cross it's hard to breathe 
Don't That's pick a fight with a bully who sits on your chest. It's hard to breathe when the bully's sitting on your chest. And so we have to use some wisdom in here. We have to avoid certain situations in advance. And so that would be the way to uh, uh, to deal with it. And that gives a third way. If you know something's going to be dangerous or uncomfortable or whatever in advance, then don't do that. But if you thought everything was going to work out and it winds up didn't, then do something about it. And if you can't do something about it, then enjoy it. This seems pretty simple, but most people don't even think about it like that, because when we we we, we don't think in advance, we think it's going to be OK, then it does. It's not OK. And now I hate it. <laughs> and so the the advanced part is the wisdom to stay out of dangerous situations. Don't run up hills for one thing. <laughs> Marcel, did that answer your question? Uh, yes, yes, it does. It's um, that's what I what I recently started doing, like more playing with it, more like shaking my upper body, shaking my face, and doing whatever it takes to to get it more relaxed. Um, while doing it, I notice like these standards in the sense of like, oh my god, you can't even sit five minutes straight without like having to rub your face and all this shit. <laughs> and yeah, I, I notice some standards uh, when I, when I do it, but yeah, I, I try to see them as Duke and kick them out when they come up. <laughs> mm -hmm. Also. Um... Now that you know that you go in and out of that, start watching what it is that brings it on. It may be, in fact, some sort of thoughts that you're having that brings that tension on and you're not quite up to watching all of the thoughts and keeping them all wholesome. But if you had only wholesome thoughts, more than likely those tensions are not going to be there. I, I believe it's go ahead. more like physical because I have it in two situations. I have it in calls, like when I'm at work or like this call, for example, I'm, I'm focusing on your picture mm -hmm. while you talk and it's building up. And in the same uh, on meditation or whenever I do it, whenever I take deep breaths, let's say 20 deep breaths in a row, it builds up. And when I let go of meditation in the sense of like, maybe I don't do it for like five days, it builds down so it's it's really something building up i don't know what but it feels more like physical because it comes kind of kind of fast when i watch someone talk for example on the cam have you ever talked to a doctor about this uh, no i haven't it okay. came up when i started i, I haven't because it, it came up when i started with the mind illuminated and I did these like really determination two hour sits in pure discomfort and pain. Uh, and I believe it started there and I, I don't know how to get rid of it. OK, well, first off, let's not work on trying to get rid of it. <laughs> That's let's what I've been work, doing here. Let's let's work on trying to pick, play with it and figure it out. And so one of the things that we can do then is give yourself permission to play with it often. Like whenever any tension arises, go ahead and relax it with the washing of the face and the massage and all of that kind of stuff and spend some time doing that. Really find out what's in the face and the head and whatnot like that. Use your fingers as eyes and really start pushing around and find out is there any tensions that you would normally miss that way and go deep into it okay to explore and then when you're sitting in meditation um be mindful of the kind of thoughts that you would think might bring that kind of tension up again i mean like the determination of getting something struggling um 
rather than actually relaxing. I think most of you would agree that when your really, really intention is to relax, it's unlikely for the face to get this kind of tension in it. Can I say something? Uh-huh, yes. Um, yeah. Can anyone hear Vita? No, I don't hear him. And uh, okay. the, neither does Skype. Oh, disconnected that, again. No. Um, <laughs> I, re uh, I repeat. Uh, you're from the way you're 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 saying the th. You're German. Yes, <laughs> I am. Okay, so uh, the the way you describe it, I mean, of course, this this uh, relate those conditional relationships between tension and thoughts you can see right now that that like. Uh, let those uh, um, tensions progress and so on. Uh, it's a very German thing that we learn very, very early to make everything hard for as Westerners mostly do, but in Germany, especially, especially with all this uh, being hard as steel and tough like leather stuff and so on. I mean, you 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 create the tension even before you before you start anything just because you you internalize so much yes basically Germans what you're it. saying then is our our attitude is enough to bring on that tension or an yep. anchor an example of that would be for myself that uh, I I actually it I when I saw what was going on that was basically the end of it, and that was that every time that I got in behind the wheel of an automobile or on a motorbike, that anxiety would be there. It would come on because of my old history. But when I recognized it, then it was easy to. Whenever I sit down in the car, first thing I do is take a deep breath. It says this is going to be a really easy ride. A lot of people have uh, tension and anxiety just when they're getting right into the right when they get into the car because of that feeling yep. of danger. And so what you're saying there is, is that it's actually quite possible or even likely that people are going to sit down in meditation with the attitude that this is hard work. I might suggest something actually, um, which. Um could help you play with it in different ways. So instead of um, uh, sitting, uh, try some different postures, right? Um, it sounds like a very extreme case of over-efforting, and so it might be useful to get your brain and your subconscious. So this happened to me. Uh, I will, I'll give you an example. Um, sometimes I meditate really well on a train, like way better than I would otherwise, um, uh, because um, there's so much going on in the train that the part of my brain which is going to over-effort is just occupied. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm actually more collected, even though I'm not um, more uh, <clears throat> gathered, so to speak. It's just because um, the part of my brain that usually is over-efforting and then gets distracted or tired is just kind of paying attention to like keeping my body straight while the train's moving and uh, like registering all the sounds. Um, is so it, it one of the main sounds, the clickety-clack of the rails as, as it goes, uh, you know, rails far by rails far, the clickety-clack of the train? Oh, these are these are modern nice trains and they don't have those clickety clack sounds as much. <laughs> Dang, and I was going to use that with the heartbeat. Um, but no, it's a good point. <laughs> the train, but the yeah. train don't make clickety clacks anymore. They weld those rails right down nowadays, I think. <laughs> no more nails. <laughs> so I might suggest, uh, first of all, trying um, to meditate on public transport. I might suggest trying to meditate um, whilst walking or standing. Or you could go the really other way, which is trying to meditate whilst uh, you're lying flat on your back. 
I wouldn't do it on the flats. You go side. Or Lay on our side. Uh, because flat on the back, especially if you're on a hard floor, gets painful. I mean, as but well as... While. And do it so relaxed that the goal is either to meditate or to fall asleep. That's how much effort you want. And try and play with that that side of it. We're like, you know what? If I fall asleep, that's still a win. Um, and then see what where and see what like too little effort looks like because you spent enough time in the too much effort probably. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, that's the common mistake that the Westerners make is is that they put in too much effort. Right, noble effort. Thanks for bringing this up, through. Right noble effort is the least amount of work necessary to actually get the job done. And the example that I often use is imagine that you're standing there in the, in the middle of the road and here comes a big lorry or a semi bearing down on you. And you take a look at that dude and you recognize here it comes. Now with choiceless awareness, we just watch it hit us. With the Mahasi method, the Popeye method, we stand there and we're going to stop that thing. We're going to find out what this thing is. But with Anapanasati, the right noble effort is to stand out of the way. Just get out of the way. Okay. And what we're getting out of the way of is not the sensation or the topic that we're talking about. It's getting out of the way of not liking it. That's the way to, to practice is, is that whatever way that you are practicing, notice what we don't like. Whenever something comes up, notice that we don't like it because then we can change that. Like for instance, instead of not liking the pounding of the heart, we can wake up and then we can recognize, oh, I was not liking the pounding of the heart. Let me start watching it instead that the wake up is, is that I didn't like the heartbeat. The wake up is that I don't like the facial tension. The waking up is, is to see what we feel and how that stuff gets triggered. What is what are the triggers that cause these things? And almost always it has to do with whatever attitude that we have. And in Eastern Europe, especially they have this everything is tough everything will just swallow you right up you got to be really tough um i think that has to do with uh, uh let us having uh let us say dictators for governments for the past what five six hundred years or more and so um <laughs> go, go ahead and the weather and the weather, that's right. Yes. Uh, and so um, the, the toughness then is taught to the children. When you're really little, they say, oh, you've got to be tough. You've got to work hard. To survive is always a struggle because that's the only way that they've known it. And so we struggled our way through things that would actually be quite easy to do. If we can remember that this is easy, that we don't have to struggle. That in fact, the whole point of Anapanasati is buried right there in step four is to relax. Just to relax. Be cool. Enjoy. Yeah, the, the heartbeat is pounding. Yeah, I can enjoy that. I can play a little song with it. I can walk around with it. Oh, yeah, the face is all tensed up. Yeah, I can give it a nice massage. Bring that face to Thailand. They've got masseurs here that really know what to do with the face. Thailand is quite famous for a few things, and massages is one of them. Yeah. Um, and if you find yourself just working really hard, recognize, oh, I'm working really hard. Why? What do I care so much about when I could just relax? Yeah, I try to investigate that because until now, at least for the past month, I believe I haven't struggled too hard in meditation. It's like 
really noticed a lot of efforts, dropped it, and only setting intentions in the sense of like my only intention is to to notice the in breath and notice the out breath and do whatever in between. Ah, is not do whatever, do whatever wholesome. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just, do do it wholesome. Yeah. Uh, let's let's keep looking at those thoughts to make sure that we can bring them back to the wholesome. So when when the heart is pounding, what kind of thoughts are we going to have about it? Are we going to have wholesome thoughts or unwholesome thoughts? When the face is tense, are we going to have wholesome thoughts about it or unwholesome thoughts? The tendency. Yeah, that's a good cue. Yeah, the tendency is to have unwholesome thoughts about it. We're really, really good at having unwholesome thoughts about almost any and everything. In fact, we're taught to hate things. Whatever political party you're in, that political party will teach you to hate all of the other political parties. We're supposed to be patriots. We're supposed to hate other countries and love our own. You know, this is part of the training that we have. Um, and we can come out of that when we see it. That it always has knowledge and deliverance. We have to wake up to it first. And the way that we really wake up to it is by playing with it as a toy. And when we see it as a toy, play with it as a toy, get really familiar with what it is, then it's easy to spot it at a distance before it actually overwhelms you. Amarato? Yes. In in regards to this <clears throat> issue we are talking or this theme we're talking about here, uh, how's the connection to that the practice ripens and clinging? Uh, that phrase ripens in clinging, I know of, is in the, um, uh, the great 40. Um, mm. here's something, many things that we think are good will ripen in clinging. And this is why the Buddha would call them ordinary things, like ordinary right view ripens in clinging. If you believe in rebirth and reincarnation, that will ripen into clinging to it. If you believe in Christianity, then you will ripen into uh, clinging to it. If you're a patriot, it'll ripen into clinging. What does that mean? You might have to go to war. I love my country so much, I'm willing to die for it. <laughs> I understand that if you're starting from the point of someone who is still very attached to the to the mundane, very attached to the world, you let's say trans with with time and and right effort, you transcend the the everything that is in clinging, ripening in clinging, through clinging, and then finally letting it go. This mm -hmm. would be the absolute perspective on this. As I understand, your your didactic approach is to do it now, to to take the least amount of effort effort in in this very moment with the right sati and uh, uh, the attitude and so on to to do it right now, even if it's just the smallest, the smallest speck of, of result, of wholesome result, and then you extend it and extend it and extend it and extend it. So it's from the beginning wholesome. It's from the beginning. It's, it's like you always say, like you start, uh, uh, the, the practice is good in the beginning, in the middle and the end, right? Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah, the Buddhist teachings are beautiful in the beginning, beautiful in the middle, beautiful in the end. That that just changes the perspective completely to those people who work too hard at it. Because it ain't so yeah. good when you're working too hard. It ain't so good when your when your face is all tensed up. It ain't so good when uh, your heart is pounding and you don't know why. 
Okay. So getting back to that line about um, ripens and clinging, basically what the Buddha is getting at is his concepts. Conceptualized thinking ripens in clinging, even if you think that it's good. And his, uh, actually the Buddha uses this example. And that is renunciation, especially formal renunciation through a ceremony. Okay, yeah. look at how many that we have like that, especially in in uh, in other cultures. Okay, so a a wedding, a marriage is a married vows that you're going to then abstain from something like flirting around. Another one, flyers. And it ripens in, in clinging. Why? Because now we want to go flirt around and we can't. We took a bow that we can't. And so we're in that struggle. And another one that's very, very clear once you understand it is, is that in, Christ, in Catholicism, the, laity, uh, the, um, the ordained priesthood and, and, uh, and whatnot, they take vows of renunciation. And the Buddha talks about renunciation will always ripen in clinging because we take a vow that I will not do something that I actually really want to do. You set yourself up for failure. And so you set yourself up for failure by taking a vow that I'm not going to do something. Uh, renunciation, vows of poverty, and then in fact uh, ordaining as a monk within the Bhikkhu Sangha doesn't have any of that kind of vow stuff in it. So how it not does. develop segregation? How not develop like sects and, and uh, sectarianism? How? how? Ah, the answer is, is that if you're going to do some renunciation, renounce it right now. And if you need to do it again later, renounce it, out at, uh, renounce, <laughs> renounce it then too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so don't make a great big vow, a public vow. An example of that would be a diet. Going on a great big public diet is bound to fail. And look how many of the marriages fail. Most of them fail. They've always failed. They just couldn't legally get a divorce. Well, Westerners think that they fail because they did something wrong and then they're looking for solutions. Yeah, they took a vow. That's what they did wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they took a vow they really didn't mean. They weren't ready for the vow. And if you are ready for the vow, you don't need a vow. It's all about doing it right here, right now, rather than off into the future. That vows often, renunciation vows and all of that kind of stuff. That's why the Buddha says that it ripens in clinging is because we're going against in an ordinary way. We're saying, oh, we're making a rule about it. Oh, thou shalt not have sex or thou shalt not do this, that, and the other thing. And we can't live up to it. But the natural method that the Buddha is teaching here is the, is the method of find out what's going on right now and fix it up a bit. So how does right noble view go into this? Because there are certain levels, or not certain levels, but certain... Yes, certain that, that's exactly right, because right noble view is not a noun like concepts are, like vows. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, it's a verb, it's, and the verb yeah. is looking, noticing, investigating, observing, uh, digging, <laughs> um, slicing, dicing, whatever. It's a verb to be done in this present moment to look at what's going on. What's going on in the body? What's going on in Don't judge other people. Pardon? We don't judge ourselves and we don't judge other people for their mistakes. Right. That's how we have to come out of that judgmental mind. Now, humans in judgment. almost call it right noble tinkering. <laughs> yes. 
I would like that. Right, noble tinkering. Because right, tinkering has definitely got the right attitude of, let me figure out how this works. Let me pull, pull the pieces apart, see what happens if I do this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. But you're not judging, you know, something you tinker with. The attitude translates better with this word. Uh-huh. You know, something about tinkering is, is that the time that I would tinker is on a laptop, for instance, that's been dead for a couple of years, and I haven't bothered with it. And then, oh, well, let me pull that apart and I'll tinker with it and see if I can get it back together. But I can't do that the day that it died. I can't tinker with it the day it died. I've got to ferociously dig in there and find out what the problem is. I need this laptop. <laughs> okay. And so that, that quality of the tinkering has to do with the non-attachment or the relinquishing right here, right now. So that we're not attached to the outcome, we're just enjoying the show. We don't care who done it at the end of the movie. We're just enjoying the show. <coughs> and so often that tinkering will get the machine running again. And I did it without any expectations of getting it running again. I just say, well, let's look at this and let's look at that and let's put this hard drive in that slot and let's see what I have with this operating system. And guess what? The darn thing just kind of lights up. And I had struggled with it that one time before I worked for that couple of days and I was so frustrated with that uh, machine. And so I put it away and two years later it pops out and it's easy because of that attitude of I need it. And now I can't get it. But when I can play with it, tinker with it. And so this is what we have to do with our own minds. The mind is much more complicated than a, than a laptop. Even though laptops got much better memory and, and much better high speeds and things like that, the one thing that a laptop can't do is understand anything. That takes a human. There's no even never mind how how big the AI gets. All they're doing is mimicking human behavior, but there's no real ghost in the machine. So, uh, in in that regard, coming back to the practice of tinkering, yes, that's what right noble view is: is being able to look and investigate with an open mind, a noble mind, uh, seeing what it is, and then taking the effort to make an improvement. And if what you're thinking right now, and you, you recognize you have sati, and you look and you say, wow, this is a really wholesome thought, then the thing to do is to congratulate yourself. Yeah, right. Caught you, and you were doing it just correctly. Because you'll have more and more moments like that. It's almost like a yee-haw moment. Wow, I was already meditating and I didn't even know it until I woke up to it and thought, sure enough, you're wholesome enough. And the and the one thing less and less and through this and and all the all the uh, alleviating the system from all the hindrances and, and it's it's a it's the best self-fulfilling prophecy we can get. <laughs> So whatever it is, be it headache, leg pain, nodding off, tension in the face, working too hard, all we have to do is to see it and make friends with it and say, look how far I've gotten with all of that tension, for instance, or look how far I've gotten with all of that working too hard. Now I can enjoy the fruits of all of that work. Whatever we've done in the past, has gotten us here to the present moment. So we can congratulate the past. Thank you very much. Now we'll take it from here at this moment, one moment after the next. And doing with um, non-critical mind. So the the um, if, if we look at it this way, wrong view versus no, ordinary right view versus noble right view, is, is that our wrong view is just merely greed. 
It's merely the child. I want, I want, I want, and I can go get whatever I want, and I don't care who I hurt because I'll get away with it. And then right ordinary view is conceptualized. It's the, it's the parent ego state. It's that, oh, no, you can't get away with it. We've got rules here. You're supposed to do this, that, and the other way. But both of them, those systems, are conceptualized. I'll get what I want. Or no, you can't have what you want. We've got rules here. And that both of those things we can put aside and use noble right looking, noble right viewing. Don't come to a conclusion because the conclusion may change. Just keep investigating. Just keep looking. Just keep tinkering. Just keep playing with it. And when you find something that you can adjust to make it better, do it right here now. Right into here now. So you can gladden the mind. You can feel like you're safe and secure. You can tell yourself you're safe and secure. Be safe and secure. Be comfortable. Be satisfied. And we practice that satisfaction. This is good enough. This is okay. I can tinker. And it's good enough. Don't have to have an outcome. It's good enough. Coming back that, to the the mole nature <laughs> and then it comes to success oh we've got this we could do this that's the pity in the anapanasati and the pity 